0: Welcome to another exciting weekend message from Encounter Church. For more information, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, this week we're going to be talking about something that's, that's really at the core of all of us, and it's greed and uh, generosity. So today we're going to talk about something that's a little bit, and this is really contrary to popular Thought, it's really not about money, and you'll find that here in just a moment. But I want to start off by asking a question. Have you ever heard of Gordon Gecko? Any of you guys ever heard the name Gordon Gekko? If you've ever seen the movie Wall Street, there was a gentleman uh, by the name of Gordon Gekko played by Michael Douglas who a very famous quote that he had in the movie was greed is good. And he gets up and he talks about this, this whole idea about how it's the American spirit, it's about how wanting more, about wanting everything and grabbing the bull by the horns and taking it all and, uh, and, and that it's a good thing, right? Well, if I were to also ask you, when I say the word greed, what are some images that pop up in your mind? And we have some images here on the screen, some things that I think most of us probably, when you hear the word greed, we think of things like excessively rich individual. we got the guy up here with the little, the little giraffe And then we have, you know, individuals who have lavish lifestyles. I thought of Tony Montana from Scarface, you know, and he had all the money in the world. He had all the houses, the cars, the girls. He had everything. I think of big cars. I think of big houses. You know, we, I think if we were to try to put images into a word about greed, we would think of some of these things. But if we were honest with ourselves, I think most of us would probably say, I don't really know that these images represent my life. I mean, most of us probably wouldn't say that you're a greedy individual. I mean, I wouldn't. Most of us don't have cars like that, don't have houses like that. We don't have lifestyles like that. We're not taking our kids around in a, in a, a Learjet. Most of us would not say that we're greedy individuals. But see, there's so much more to greed than just that. I want to take you on a journey today in a story in the book of Genesis yeah, that's right, Genesis. I don't know how many of you have ever even heard sermons out of the book of Genesis. Maybe the only thing you've heard of is the story of the creation, the creation story. But in verses 1 through 6, and the words are on our screen, we have Bibles with us, by the way. If there are some out in the at the Connection Center if you need a Bible, or I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you, or to turn on uh, your tablets or your smartphones to Genesis with us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Eve, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And she replies, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, the serpent replies, you won't die Verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And so it has been from the very beginning of humanity's existence. Our desire for what we can't have, our desire for what we shouldn't have, the single moment in time caused a schism between us and God. This single moment in time, the moment where we decided that we knew better than God, the moment that we decided that we wanted everything that we could have, And that if there was anything that we couldn't have, we didn't want anyone to tell us otherwise. And the moment that someone came along and said, no, 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 that's not really what he meant. Or, oh, he's just hiding it from you because because he, you know, thinks you're going to be just like him. But why? Well, let's look in verse 3. Eve actually repeats what God says. She says, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. She was repeating what God was saying in this one moment. But here's the thing, is that God wasn't talking about physical death in this specific instance. When he told them, don't eat from this tree, he wasn't talking about physical death. Do you know how I know that? There was another tree, the tree of eternal life. So God already gave humanity in this moment, God already gave humanity a finite timeline. They were going to die. Every one of us from the beginning were not going to be immortal, okay? Okay. So he wasn't talking about physical death. So when he says, don't eat this fruit because you will die if you do, what was he saying? What he was really saying here was that he's talking about the death of your soul, the connection with God. What he was trying to do was show us in the scripture and about this tree was that there is a whole design to life and the relationship. And then ultimately that death that we would possess would be, mean that we would be alone for the rest of our lives. The rest of our existence would be disconnected from the God who created us. But then verse 4 and 5 comes the greatest lie of all time. The serpent replies, you won't die. Your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And I think this is the reality here, guys, is that our entire lives, our very existence for millennia, has been dictated by this single lie in history that we can be like God, that our eyes are opened, and that we know what is best for ourselves. That is ultimately what we think in our lives. That's how we act. And we think that we can have prosperity. We think that we can have happiness. We think that we can have fulfillment with our disconnection from God. And I think the thing is is that this touches on something at the very root of us. It touches at something at the very core of who we are as people. We want everything for ourselves. We want the satisfaction of feeling like we did it ourselves. We don't want anyone telling us above us that they did it for us. That, 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 that somehow that we were not the ultimate authority in our life. It's all about being self-centered. And what is another word for being self-centered? It is Greed. Greed. So we're not just talking about money here. We're not just talking about like, oh, I've got like, I got to buy all the cars and I've got to have all the money and get all the jobs and, and have the best clothes. That's not what we're talking about. That could be an aspect of it. But greed ultimately, really, greed is about this, this self-centered, self-serving feeling at the core of us that drives us. And what it does is it it pulls everything around us. It causes us to hoard and it closes our fists When we grab onto things, when we claw at everything, we hold it tightly against us. We have no room for anyone else. But it's not just about money. It's not just about things. It's about everything in our lives. It's our heart. It's our motives. Proving that we are the master of our lives. Don't tell me what I should and shouldn't do. I'm the master of my own life. And that's exactly what was happening in that singular moment. The serpent was speaking to them and said, "You will be just like God. You don't need God's afraid that if you eat this fruit that you're going to that you're going to know everything." But I will tell you that we spend our lives constantly running around trying to acquire things, trying to build things, building and gathering, but it's never enough. It leads to nowhere. It leads to nowhere. It leads to unfulfilled lives, and it leads to a lack of purpose, and it isolates us. And I'm here to tell you today that there is a better way. There is a better way, a way that leads to connection with others, a way that leads to fulfillment. It leads to purpose. It leads to restored relationships. It's called the way of generosity. So that's our message today is greed versus generosity. But here's the reality of it. You can't just wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to be a generous person. Because you might think greed and generosity are the opposites. But really, the way of generosity begins with gratefulness. You see, that's the whole crux of this. Greed actually is a symptom of ungratefulness. It's becoming so hungry for things that I don't have because I'm not grateful for what I do have. It's a, grateful, it's a lack of gratefulness of, of what God has done for me, for the, the design of life that he's created for us. This whole idea of thinking that we know better than God does, that I know what's best for my life, don't tell me how I should live my life, comes from an ungratefulness of understanding of who God is and how he designed life to be for us. You see, gratefulness is believing that everything is God's. And that he provides all of it for us, everything, our houses, our cars, our jobs, our money, our kids, our wives, this space that we're meeting in, the drum set, the projector, everything. It's all God's, and he gives it to us for our pleasure and for our use. Gratefulness is understanding the design of life, that it was meant for us to be in a relationship with him, to re- meant to be in a connection with the creator. It's being thankful for blessings. It's being thankful for his protection and his love in our lives. And you know what it really is? It's gratefulness is going back to the garden, going back to the garden of Eden and making a different choice. Cuz the choice that was made that ultimately lays all of us to this greed, this core of us. We can go back when we choose gratefulness. It's as if we're going back to the garden and we're saying, I'm going to choose the right way. I'm going to choose gratefulness. And you know what it does when we're grateful for God and what he's done for us? It takes the pressure off of our shoulders. Being grateful will transform the way we live. I mean, think about that for a second. If you are grateful and thankful for what you have, you're not going to be like holding on to it with tight fists because you want to share what you have with others. You're so thankful for it that it just, it, it permeates everything that you have in your soul. When you're grateful, there's just, it's a, it's a freshness, like a fresh air in your life. Just like I said that when you're greedy though, It's never enough. It leads to nowhere. You will constantly be fighting for more and you will always miss all the things that are around you, all the things that are in your life that are good things when you think that you don't have enough. It changes our thought process. Being grateful changes our thought process. It changes how we view other people. It changes our view of our possessions. It changes the view of ourselves. Think about that for a second. When you're full of greed and always wanting something, you look at people as items that you can use versus people that you can share with or that you can share life with. If all I care about is money or care about my next job promotion or the cars and the status that I have by them, every single person that I meet Becomes an, an, a, an object, it becomes an item, it becomes someone that I can use or get something from to help me get to the next place in my life. That's what greed does, but gratefulness views it differently. It sees family and friends as people who are there to support you, who are there to enjoy. It sees that your job is a means to an end. It's not, a, it's not a, a, an image that we have to achieve. Being grateful changes everything. So the way of generosity begins with gratefulness, but it is lived out in generosity. God didn't create the universe to be enjoyed alone. I mean, he could have, and he certainly could have. He could have taken the the entire universe and he could have just sat there and said, this is amazing, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Look how awesome it is. No, 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 kids, don't, don't touch that like that's what he could have done but he didn't god created mountains and he created he created amazing rivers and and the sky and beaches and, and oceans he created lakes and streams he created animals he created you know people with great minds to be able to build amazing cities and skyscrapers and and and, and the ability to have community and all sorts of things He created the universe and wanted to share it with us. God is so generous. He gave everything that he had, everything, and says, take it, enjoy it. He shares grace graciously through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's probably the most generous act that I can think of, is in a world, after he goes and creates this beautiful place, this wonderful world for people to live in, and then almost immediately they decide, well, we're going to eat this fruit over here and because we believe that we know what's better. I mean, imagine your 7-year-old child telling you, you know, or maybe your 4-year-old kid saying, "I know what's best for my life. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to move out and I'm going to go get a job. And by the way, I'm going to take the keys and drive the car with it." I mean, you would think that's ludicrous. But that's what we do. That's what we have done as humanity. We have taken the role of God in our own lives and taken the role of the driver in the driver's seat for ourselves. And despite all of that, despite God creating a beautiful universe for us to enjoy and giving us the capacity to connect with each other, we rebel against him and we spit in God's face as humanity. All the horrible things happening all over the world. That's an act of rebellion, an act of selfishness. It all derives from this greed of the heart. And yet, yet God sends his son, Jesus Christ. He says, I love you enough that I will send my son, Jesus Christ, to give his life willingly for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many people you've killed. It doesn't matter what you've done to kids. It doesn't matter how many things you've stolen from people. It doesn't matter how many people you've stepped on or crushed to get where you are. I love you. I love you, 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 and it doesn't matter what you've done, I love you that much, and I'm sending my son Jesus Christ for you. That is the greatest act of generosity I can imagine, that Jesus Christ has shared grace with us. But in the same way, our role then is then to place our focus on Jesus and to share what we have with others like Christ shares with us. I mean, that's ultimately what this is all about, and that brings us to our main idea of today, is that is this, generosity flows from a grateful heart. I encourage you to pull out your notes and write that down. We have it in your notes uh, in the program. We have notes for for this message. I encourage you to pull out a pen and write this down because it's something you need to remember. Generosity flows from a grateful heart. You cannot be generous in life until you are grateful for what you have. And John Mullen, uh, I think he's the pastor of Prague Christian Fellowship, said this. It's a great quote, and it's on the screen, I believe. It says, As a church family, our transformation from a self-focus, a greed focus, to a Christ-focus will begin with our confession of greed and our commitment to gratefulness. Wholeness and generosity will eventually follow, and we will enjoy the same fruit as the early church, revival in our midst. And what is that revival talking about? Revival is a word that a lot of people are freaked out about. They think that that means people rolling around on the floors. They think that means like endless worship sessions of people singing songs for like eight hours and sweaty preachers and all those types of things. That's what people think of revival. But revival really just means the spirit of God is present and people's lives are being changed in tangible ways, in powerful ways. And you saw that in Acts 2, 44 and 47. What the scripture said was that, that, that the believers, the disciples were together every day. They spent time together all the time. They loved each other. They shared money. They, they sold their possessions whenever it was needed. No one had any need. And you know what it said? It said, and the Lord added to their number daily, every single day. I don't know about you, but have you, have you been able to lead a friend to Jesus every day of your life or since you've become a Christian? I haven't. I don't think you have either. And that was what was happening. Every day, people were coming to know Jesus over and over and over again. Why? Because of the gratefulness that they had for what Jesus did for them, and they shared everything. And that community was so powerful. It's, we're, our world is hungry for things. They are hungry for life. We're hungry for love. We're hungry for connection, for relationships. And we try to fill all of those voids with our cars and with our houses, with our jobs and with our money, with our paychecks with our wives, with our kids, with everything but God. But when we have relationships with each other and we are truly grateful for what Jesus Christ has done and then we become generous with each other, we become generous with our lives, it's contagious. And that person who suddenly looks out there and goes, wow, you don't have hardly any money, but you are so fulfilled in life. I have all the money in the world and I feel empty I'm not talking that like money is a negative thing. It's great and God uses it and God blesses people with great things and great houses but they're not just for ourselves. So we're going to kind of finish up with a parable of of the Good Samaritan. Most of you maybe know this story, but it's in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37. The story goes that there was a Samaritan. It actually says a despised Samaritan, okay? So imagine that. The despised Samaritan. For those of you who don't know, a Samaritan was basically the archenemy of the Jewish people. They were half-breeds, if you were half-bloods, you know, for Harry Potter fans out there. They were the individuals who they were not allowed in the temple. They were not allowed to worship God. They were not allowed to be anywhere near Jewish people. And one day, the the, the story says that there was a, a Samaritan man who was robbed, he was beaten, and he was laying almost half dead in a ditch. Okay, he's on the side of a road in a ditch. Imagine on 279, on sort of side of the road, you see a car all beat up in flames, and some guy just laying there on the side of the road. Now, what the Bible tells us is that immediately, pretty soon after that, a priest walks up. A priest, a Jewish priest, walks by, sees the man for a second, and then walks on. Does nothing. And then the scripture then says that a Levite, which is a, an individual whose job was to take care of the temple. He was kind of like a steward in the temple. He was a worker. He wasn't a priest, but his job was to kind of take care of the facility. And it says that he came by, walked up to the man, sort of walks over. I imagine him kind of looking at the guy and just sort of kicking him a little bit to see if he's alive, you know. And it says that he just walks on too. Two people walk by and just completely leave this man who is clearly in grave mortal danger. And then scripture says that That a Samaritan walks by. I'm sorry, I screwed up the story. In the very beginning, it was not, it didn't say who it was. It says a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan comes along. This is what was this is amazing to me. That this man, we don't know who the man was who was beaten and who was who was you know robbed and who was laying half dead. A priest, a minister, a pastor, if you will, ignored him. A church worker, a deacon, any of you who consider yourselves part of the dream team, who are part of our team walked up to this man and walked by, did nothing. Who does do something? The despised Samaritan walks over and sees this man. This is what Scripture tells us he did. And we're going to link it directly to this. There are three areas of generosity and how this links to us. Number one is it's time. It's time. Why is it time? Because he was on his way somewhere. And the Scripture tells us that what he does, the Samaritan picks up the man, heals his wounds, bandages him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to a nearby inn, and then he pays, stays the night with him, helps him out, stays the night, tell, gets up in the morning and tells the innkeeper, here is my money, here's some money, take care of him, and if it's not enough for, you, for him to get on his feet, I will come back and pay the rest myself, and he goes on his way. The first thing is about generosity is that this man, this hated individual, gave his time. He gave his time. He was on his way somewhere, he took him to an inn, and he stayed the night with him. Now, I don't know where he was going, he might have been... Heading to his mom's house, he might have been going to a friend's house, he might have been going on vacation, who knows what he was doing. But how many of you, how many of myself, would be willing to stop on the way somewhere important that you're going and take an entire day's worth of time to be able to help someone who is in need? And that's what he did. But that's amazing generosity. He gave time. Now, time is our most valuable asset, even greater than our money. It is our most valuable asset. My question to you would be is how are you spending it? Are you spending it on yourself or are you spending it on others? Greed versus generosity. The first area of generosity is time. The second is energy. The Bible tells us that the Samaritan soothed his wounds. It says that he put the man on his donkey and he took care of him. He didn't just take the time to stop. He actually helped the man. He took his own energy. He could have just got out his cell phone, you know, figuratively, and he could have called 911 and said, hey, there's a guy here who's in an accident. He's been beaten up. Uh, He's at this, you know, mile marker on the road. Um, Help him and hang up and then leave. I mean, some of us have done that too, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but this man went the next step. He not only gave his time, he gave his energy. He was willing to give time and energy, his, not just the, the ability to stop, but he actually took something and did something with it. And that's just all about taking ownership. He was willing to take ownership of this man's problem, and he was willing to help it. And it's not just the easy things. I mean, it's so easy for us to say, well, I'll, I'll help. Like, if you're walking downtown and you've got a quarter in your pocket and you pull it out and give the homeless guy a quarter— I mean, that's not really energy. That's not really even time. Right? He actually went out of his way to help. So taking ownership. So the first two areas of generosity is time and energy. And the last is this. It's resources. So the scripture tells us that he actually gave two denarii, two silver coins. And we've done some research, and history tells us that that was actually equal to two days' wages. Two days' wages. Now imagine that for a second. If If you were to come across an individual who is in need, think about that. Two days wages. That's not just like, I mean, most of us have walked to the homeless guy on the street or someone who is in need and pulled out maybe a couple bucks and put it in there. Or you're at the stoplight, you know, and there's the firemen who have the boots and you're putting money in their boots and things like that, you know, to help raise money or when you help somebody. Most of us have pulled out a couple bucks and said, here, I can help you but two days wages could be anywhere from 80 to $500 imagine that most of us don't carry that on your on your on your person but that would be the equivalent of taking taking someone who is injured to the hospital and saying i'm going to pay this guy's bill or taking him to a courtyard marriott hotel and saying i'm going to pay this guy's rent uh, the room for two nights i mean not just your time not just your energy but your resources And I really believe that God was saying here, like in Scripture, that he's saying is that this is part of becoming a disciple. It's not just saying that I believe in Jesus, it's being in the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus gave everything. He was the opposite of greed. He was grateful for who he was and what he offered to people, and he gave everything generously. He gave his time. How many times do you see in Scripture where Jesus would be in a room or he would be trying to go somewhere, just trying to get alone, and people were always following him? And he was never angry with them. He said, fine, just come on in and I will teach you. And he did. He always gave his time. He always gave his energy. And he gave all of his resources, his power, everything that he had. And this is specifically, this is that one section that we're gonna talk about, about the, about the money thing. Because it does have to do with it. Generosity is not just your personality, it's not just your time, it's not just your energy. It's being willing to give the things that you matter most to you in life. And in America, this is probably the hardest thing we have. Gordon Gecko, in the very beginning, said greed is good. Why? Because he loved all the money that he made every single time. He could crush a company, and he could take all the money back into his bank account. He lived an opulent lifestyle. He lived great, great luxury. He had everything that he wanted, and it destroyed his life, if you watch that movie. But the Scripture teaches us about tithing, and it's crazy. Malachi 3.10 says this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. We had Aaron come up here a few minutes ago and talk to us about this very thing. And what did he say? He said, the moment I decided that I was going to give what God asked me to give, I had this amount of money, and then because of my willing heart, God blessed me, and then he ended up with double of that. Now, that's not the story that, that, that everybody can tell, but the story that I can tell, I don't know a single person who has said, I have given tithes, I have tithed faithfully, I have done what God has asked me to do, and not one of those people will, t- will, say, will say to you, well, God is not faithful. No, what do I hear from every single person, myself included? Who has ever given them and said, God, I don't know where this money is going to come from, but I'm giving you my tithe because you asked for it and I believe in it. Build your kingdom every single time. God shows up and more often than not, he shows up in big ways. Just like the scripture says, it says, if you do, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great." that you won't have enough room to take it in. And that might not mean just money. It might mean watch your relationships get healed. Watch your sicknesses you know, diminish. Watch your relationships with your son or your daughter or strange relationships begin to be healed. Watch people that you have been broken with suddenly come back into your life and there'll be opportunities for things to happen in your life. Why? It's not because you gave money. It's because you're obedient to God. And when you're obedient to him, God blesses you. And that's a principle I had to learn a long time ago. I struggled with this, guys. I struggled with this idea of giving my 10% of my income because I was like, I can't even pay my own bills. And I will tell you, I learned that with I could have 90% of my income and that is blessed by God and that is so much more powerful than 100% that I control myself. I'm telling you, that is a principle that is just found in Scripture and it's been proven in my life and everyone who's tithe. When you give to God, generously. It will change you and it will change everything in your life. This is all I'm going to say about it, but I would challenge you with this. If you are looking in your life and you're saying, I'm frustrated with God and I'm frustrated with my life because I feel like I don't get anywhere. I feel like my relationships are broken. I feel like all these, if you're not tithing, and it might not be just this area, but if you're saying, I go to church, and I love Jesus, and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I have good relationships, and I love hungry people, and I give them food, and I, and I help the homeless, and I go to outreaches, and you're like, and I still feel like I'm just treading through the mud all the time. Maybe it's because you're lacking this one critical foundational is- issue in your life. So my challenge to you today is this, not just about money, but everything. Stop grabbing and start giving. Stop grabbing and start giving. If the band could come back up. And there are a couple of steps that I put on the screen here. The first is this repent of your greed. And I hope by now you've realized that greed is not just about money. It's about this replacing God with yourself replacing your desire for things with yourself with trying to replace you know like making making your cars making your job making your relationship with your family sports your fantasy football team whatever it is making them be the idol in your life that you worship instead repent of that greed the second thing is this is become grateful and thank God for his generous grace generous grace I start every one of my prayers, every one of my prayers with thank you. And I thank all the, I mean, I could probably spend five minutes just thanking God for stuff. And it's, I'm teaching my heart to do that. And I would tell you to do the same. Be generous and be grateful and thanks for what God has done for you. And it can start with Jesus Christ. It starts with the love that he's given you, the love that, that, he, that he has for you. And then you can move on to the things you have, your houses and your cars and your, your families and the health of your kids. But then I would challenge you to choose to be generous with your time. I would say start serving. At church, start serving in your community. Choose to be generous with your energy. Take ownership. Don't just say, I'm going to do this and then show up and then leave and do the bare minimum. It's like take ownership of it. Don't just do the easy things. And then with your resources, start, start giving, start tithing. And I said this to our team earlier today. If you, you say, I can't give 10%. If you're not in a place, some of you, I'm going to challenge you as a pastor. Some of you right now feel like God is, is tugging on your heart right now and saying, you do need to be giving. I've been talking to you for a while. You need to be giving 10% of your income. Some of you, maybe you don't feel that, 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 that pull from the Lord, but you feel like I do need to do this. What I would say to you is start small. Just start giving. Start giving. Everything we do here is because of your giving. And it's not for me. It's for the lives that are changed. It was you because somebody gave once and you went to a church and found Jesus. That church happened because of their giving. That's what happens when you were generous. Lives are changed. Remember earlier on I said about the, the hands, the closed hands. Guys, just look at me here. When you are, when you are full of, of selfless, self, self-centered desire, self-centeredness, you know, self-greed, your hands are closed. You cannot do anything. I can't receive like this. I can't do anything with it. But when you open your hands and say, "I can't be like this," you give it away. It re- gives you. It frees you up to be to be able to receive good things. You can be grateful. Maybe you say, "I don't even know how to be grateful today." I don't know. I feel like my life has been so hard. I feel like that there have been things that have come across me that I just cannot be grateful for. Maybe you have to start by looking in your life and saying, "I got to let go of these things that are always coming at me." and, and and trust that there's a God in heaven who's big enough who can control all of it and maybe, the, maybe the problem is that you have stepped in that place that's not yours to take in whatever area of your life that might be we're not talking about just money we're talking about everything control issues it could be. it could be I feel like I know best for my life and I don't want anyone to tell me what I should or shouldn't do and that means my boss, it means my wife, it means my pastor especially God Open your hands. Let go of that. And you will be able to receive. You can receive fulfillment, purpose, peace, and blessing. Thanks for listening to this message from Encounter Church. If you call Encounter Home or if you would like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterPGH.com and click on the Support Encounter tab on the left side. This is a quick and simple way to stay up to date with your regular giving. We hope you join us next week.